Welcome to the Onco PT Podcast, where you'll learn from oncology experts, practitioners, and patients to help you on your journey to become a confident and competent Onco PT. Here's your host, Elise Decker. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Onco PT Podcast. We are doing something a little different today because I could not resist. There was an amazing case report that came out just a, honestly, probably like just a week ago or so. It's very, very fresh, but it really caught my eye because it was answering some of the questions that I have been mulling over in my head regarding exercise prescription. Um, so I've had a few people actually reach out to me, ask me these questions on our happy hours and inside the Onco PT Academy. And so this was the perfect timing to actually bring it up and let's get chatting about it. So if you haven't seen this case report, I am actually pulling it up now so I make sure that I have the title correct. So the title is Vertebral Fracture During One Repetition Maximum Testing in a Breast Cancer Survivor, a case report. And it came out in May of this year, so literally May 21st, 2021. And I saw it on Twitter the other day and I bookmark it because that's what I do with a lot of the uh, tweets that I find. And I actually read this one because it had a really captivating title and it's a really, really important topic that we need to be talking about. So what I wanna do is just briefly go over what exactly this case report talked about and what that means for us as the oncology physical therapists. Because you might be thinking, why would I have anything to do with one repetition maximum testing? That doesn't really seem like something that oncology physical therapy would be doing. Well, newsflash, if you're thinking that, I tend to think that way too. But what we tend to, when we think that way, what we are ignoring is that we have a responsibility to effectively and appropriately assess our patients and then dose them accordingly to whatever, you know, whatever they can tolerate. And there's a lot that goes into how do we decide this and whatnot. And one way of deciding, of clinically, you know, making a decision on this is how I'm going to dose exercise for our patients can be through one repetition maximum testing and other, you know, maximal exercise tests, as well as submaximal tests. And there's there's different types. And one of the things that I initially, when I first saw this title of this case report, I thought, oh my gosh, who is doing one, rep one repetition maximum testing on cancer survivors? But that is a really backwards way of thinking for a variety of reasons. So I really had to check myself when I first read this because my gut instinct is to go, oh my gosh, I can't believe they would do that. But that is actually a really, really problematic statement. Even the like pinnacle, the peak article that I love referring to when it comes to exercise, cancer rehabilitation and safety had some things to say about this because that was the first thing that I went to. I read this, you know, read the case report and it was really interesting. But when I read the title, I thought, oh my gosh, what would Maltzer say about this? So Maltzer 2017, fabulous article about safety considerations when it comes to exercise for the cancer survivor. Highly encourage you, I will include it in the links in today's show notes. That needs to be in your back pocket, hands down. Fabulous article, but I went there first because I thought, okay, I wonder what they would say about this. And they say within the first sentence of the paragraph when they're talking about exercise for the cancer survivor, one repetition, so 
maximum and submaximal exercise testing is appropriate many cases for a cancer survivor which kind of shocked me at first and the more that i was diving into the research about this this is not surprising so one of the things that the case report that i'm referring to actually talks about so once you get through and we're talking about introduction resistance training we know is very very beneficial for a cancer survivor we know that aerobic exercise is very beneficial for the cancer survivor at various stages you know whether that's during treatment whether that's after treatment whether that is you know for the rest of their lives it can be done both aerobic and resistance safely and it's great for a variety of different reasons for these patients but then what about what about you know safety with one repetition maximum testing well we have really good evidence supporting the use of this in other patient populations. So this case report talks about cardiac rehab, um, you know, general like geriatric populations that this is safe for. So it can be done in the general population, even in the elderly patients that we see when it's done safely. Now, one thing that you are probably familiar with is that there is not always a lot of research regarding exercise and cancer survivors on a, on a really big scale things. We know there's pretty good literature out there on um, breast cancer, colorectal cancer is probably one of the ones that comes behind that, and prostate cancer. These are very common diagnoses, and there's a lot more research on those compared to other patient populations that we might see. But even with all of the research that's out there, for these different diagnoses, there's not a lot of literature available these days so far on the safety of one repetition maximum testing in cancer survivors. There's some, there is emerging evidence, but there are some really unique considerations we have to think about when it comes to dosing exercise for our patients, our you know cancer survivors, wherever they are in their state. So what I want to do is very briefly talk about what actually happened in this case report, what we need to know about it, and then what we need to take back to our own practices with our own patients, okay? So in this setting, they were doing a randomized control intervention, exercise intervention trial in patients who had breast cancer or prostate cancer and were done with their primary treatments. And so they, the ages were anywhere between 18 to 60 Nope, that's false, 18 to 75. And they were going to do different one repetition maximum testing to see how the how the people did. And then, you know, as part of this exercise intervention. But what we're focusing on is actually the the one repetition maximum here. So the case patient was a 69 year old woman. She was treated for breast cancer. Um, she had chemotherapy. She had a um, a segment resection of the right breast, lymph node dissection, and then radiotherapy. And she finished that up three months prior to when this incident happened. Now she had some other known comorbidities, but nothing really led the investigators to believe that there was any kind of underlying bone problems, specifically osteoporosis. She didn't receive anti-cancer hormone treatments. And this is an important thing to um, to consider here. She did so because of that she did not have tamoxifen, she did not have aromatase inhibitors, anything that we will come back to because this has significant ramifications on bone health. 
So they were doing the baseline strength assessments. And so they got all of that done. And then in the, I think it was like the third training session that they did. So the patient was with an experienced certified exercise therapist who was monitoring everything, who was, um, you know, making sure that the patient was safe, had appropriate posture, was going through the movements correctly to promote safety. And so we get through the first little bit of this, and then they are going to do the one repetition maximum testing at the leg press machine, which was in the supine position, in case you're wondering. In essence, the patient had several successful attempts and was increasing the resistance, and that's when the patient had the actual injury. And so you can go into the specifics um, with the case report. I will go ahead and link to that in today's show notes, so that way you can look at you want look if you want. But in essence, there was um, the patient performed the movement incorrectly, and I will say this is not putting blame on the patient. This is not putting blame on the the exercise therapist. This is what happened, right? And things like this happen, unfortunately, when it comes to working with real life humans. So she did the movement and then felt immediate pain in her lower back. The pain wasn't that bad. Um, and the testing session, they they finished it without any further problems. So they went on to the next machine. Patient did fine. Um, the therapist told her, you know, reach out to, yeah, I'm sure your physician, if the pain gets, if it keeps going, whatever. So they covered their bases as far as, okay, this is what happened. Here's what I want you to look out for. Here's what you need to do if x y and z happens and so after a few days the patient was managing or trying to manage the pain with ibuprofen and so then she went to the physician and they they ruled out everything else so there were no bony mitts but what they did diagnose is that this patient had a previously unknown osteoporosis unfortunately in her vertebra and so she had a um it says in here a cover plate compression fracture of l4 which is really unfortunate. So in this case report, it talks a lot about how they were screening these patients for potential bone issues. And this patient actually didn't meet any of the typical classification that we look at. So what I wanna do now, I'm pulling up my notes here because I wanted to make sure that I got everything here. So there are several different risk factors associated with osteoporosis. I think we're very familiar with sex so females are more likely to develop it older females are more likely to develop it um white and odrat i think asian women tend to have um tend to be at an increased risk of developing osteoporosis a slighter build so smaller less weight on a person's frame less weight means that they have less um you know like force going through their bones at any one time Hormone problems are an issue, diet patterns, you know, decreased consumption of calcium, none of vitamin D, other, you know, dietary patterns can have an effect here. Steroids and other medications can increase risk of osteoporosis, including some of the ones that we have talked about. So aromatase inhibitors, um, potentially tamoxifen can, can have an effect on bone health. So for the case report purpose, they looked at, they assessed that this person didn't have any aromatase inhibitors or tamoxifen. Okay, so patient doesn't fit that that bill. This patient was 69 years old, and 
had pretty decent health. And overall, like I said, they were screening her appropriately for the typical like, okay, we got to look out for osteoporosis and it was still missed, unfortunately. And here's what I really want to talk about today. It's not feasible to, um, one of the things that this case report talked about was like, yeah, we could do a DEXA scan, but DEXAs aren't really feasible. They can be very expensive. And I'm totally on board with that. It is not, unfortunately, especially in the current medical landscape, it's really difficult to justify to the powers that be that every person should get a DEXA scan. But the unfortunate thing is that we know bone integrity, bone health is an issue in this patient population. And even though this patient, you know, checked all the boxes of now probably doesn't have osteoporosis, relative risk um, is low. Unfortunately, we know that this was still something that happened and this patient ultimately did have an adverse effect because of this. So I wanna read a statement here from the case report and I'm taking this directly from it. So I'm gonna um, begin quotes here. First, it shall be addressed whether and how the fracture during one repetition maximum testing could have been avoided. Here, the most relevant point is the previously unknown osteoporosis. The International Multidisciplinary Roundtables Exercise Guidelines for Cancer Survivors states that among patients with bony metastases or known or suspected osteoporosis, routine assessments of muscle strength and or endurance involving musculature that attaches to and or acts on a skeletal site that contains bone lesions should be avoided. Okay, so, so pause here. They are aware, these researchers who wrote this case report up, which thank you so much if this gets out to y'all, thank you for writing this up because this is so important. They are following the International Multidisciplinary Roundtable Exercise Guidelines here. They know what's going on and we should be too. And what that roundtable states is that patients who have known issues, known bony mets, known or suspected osteoporosis, we gotta, we gotta be careful with them. There are certain steps that we need to take. And unfortunately, even though this patient didn't fit the typical idea of what we would think for a person to have osteoporosis, we still missed it and we still had an issue. So again, going back to the quotes here, in this case, osteoporosis was neither known nor suspected by the study team. The participant was a relatively old postmenopausal woman, but she did not have a history of fractures and did not receive anti-cancer hormone therapy or other medication known to increase the risk of osteoporosis, end quotes. Okay, so here, this patient was older, not ancient by any means, but still older. And even though she didn't have any known issues that by the criteria that this team was following, they didn't, they were not led to believe that she had imminent risk of fracture. I think this just goes to support how we cannot be too careful when it comes to patients and bone health in the oncology patient population. Bone health is crucial. And unfortunately, I, there's there's some thoughts that I have on this as to maybe why this person like should have been considered a osteoporotic risk, even if they didn't think that she had it based on clinical criteria. She's older. She's a female. Both of those automatically increase a person's risk of osteoporosis. Now, she didn't have any of the typical anti-cancer treatments that we would suspect 
that we know can increase a person's risk of osteoporosis. However, she is older, she's a female, she did go through cancer treatment. And the majority of the time, activity levels, if our patients are left to their own devices, their activity levels do not increase. A lot of times these patients are now taking more rest. They are decreasing the amount of activity they are doing um, with cancer treatment. Sometimes we know that diet can change. Um, you know, sometimes people go through chemotherapy and they can't keep food down. They, they don't like eating. They don't, you know, eating is not, they don't enjoy eating. They're not finding food that they like, or they're just trying to find food that they like. And so they're not eating necessarily a balanced diet with lots of nutrients and things that are healthy for them that maybe would promote better bone health. So just because one of your patients, just because a patient isn't going through, you know, the aromatase inhibitors, isn't taking the other you know, maybe it's like androgen deprivation therapy, even though a patient isn't on those things, we have got to consider bone health is an issue. Personally, I consider bone health to already be an issue in all of my patients because I am unfortunately been really aware of how quickly bone issues can develop and be such a problem, even if they don't fit our typical like osteoporosis, osteopenia. I would say most of the patients, truly, most of the patients that I have encountered because of their breast cancer diagnosis, by the end, they have been osteopenic or osteoporotic. Many of the patients that I encounter during prostate cancer or after their prostate cancer treatment have bone health issues, are osteopenic, are osteoporotic. Could it be that I have a really biased view that I'm seeing the patients who have the problems? Yes. Could it be that that is the patient population that we work with and that bone health is part of the big issue here? That could also be. So menopausal state has a significant factor here, but it's not just our postmenopausal patients that we have to be concerned of. Premenopausal women can also have issues with bone health. So we talked about tamoxifen, but chemotherapy with resultant ovarian failure. So there is a wonderful article about premenopausal women and bone health that I will also link to. Really, really good stuff. I'm actually pulling um, articles from the, um, the exam, the oncology exam prep course that we're making. So I read this one. It's really fresh on my mind. But we know that there are significant risk factors for even premenopausal women to develop bone health issues, osteopenia, osteoporosis. So chemotherapy with resultant ovarian failure. We know that estrogen is a very cushioning and health promoting hormone for a lot of our essential body functions, bone health included in that. So GnRH agonists, also problematic when it comes to bone health. Tamoxifen might even be an issue here as well when it comes to bone health. Um, there's some differing literature, but know that that is a potential issue here. And again, so these are the premenopausal women that I'm talking about here, not just our postmenopausal patients. We also, again, don't forget about our androgen deprivation therapies for you know patients who maybe have prostate cancer. 
these ADTs are significantly associated with, again, bone loss and increase in fracture risk. So I, I'm bringing all this together because, again, this case report really knocked me off my socks as far as, wow, this is really good stuff. I'm so glad that they published this because this is really, really important things when it comes to dosing our patients safely. I don't tell you this, I didn't record this episode to scare you, but to bring awareness to how important appropriate dosing and consideration of these different issues is for our patient population. One thing that I really liked out of this case report, they kind of took a step back and said, okay, what should we do to be safer with these patients? How can we maybe avoid this in the future? Because obviously a, you know, a fracture is not what we want for this patient population. But what really struck me is that this patient, she healed, um, she was eventually able to go back to some of the activities she wanted to do and was doing previously. She never returned to exercise in within this study period. And while it's only one person amid a cohort, I think I think there were 60 plus people in this cohort, that is one more person who could potentially be living with really significant treatment side effects, with long-term health issues as a result of her cancer and her cancer treatment that are not being addressed by exercise, which we know is therapy for our patients. And yes, it's only one person, but I would really rather it be no persons, like it would be no people. We already have so few people who are getting the necessary cancer rehab that they need. Let's not introduce any extra problems to the process that would deter patients from getting the needed therapy that they need. So general recommendations from the case report authors are that maybe we don't do one repetition maximum testing, especially in our, like in our older populations or patients that have you know, other medical issues, maybe instead we do an eight repetition maximum test or a 10 rep or a 12 rep max test. There's lots of ways to do this that will still challenge our patients because we want them to be challenged, right? That will still challenge our patients, but not necessarily at the strenuous, potentially injury inducing levels of a one rep max like what this patient experienced. We probably could have avoided this if we had done an eight or a 10 or a 12 rep max when it comes to prescribing resistance training, right? So again, this was a really fantastic case report and I'm really, really excited that it came out when it did. Um, I think this gives us a lot of pause. And so this is part one of a three-part series that I'm going to be doing on how to dose exercise for your patients with cancer safely. So next week's episode, we're going to be talking about how do we even dose? Like what does that actually look like for our patients who have non-metastatic cancer or non-bony involvement? And then the week after that, we're going to talk through what does it look like to dose exercise for a person with metastatic cancer. As much as I would really love to spend time on that second section and not worry about the last one, unfortunately, metastatic cancer is very much a reality for many of our patients. 
and we need to know what to do and how to work with them safely so that we can equip them with the tools they need to exercise and participate in the things that are most important to them. So thank you so much for listening to today's episode, y'all. I really, really appreciate it. I will see you back here next week in which we're going to be talking about how do we dose? How does that actually work? What do we actually do to make sure that we are dosing our patients appropriately with cancer? And I will see you then. Otherwise, have a lovely rest of your day and yeah, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Onco PT podcast. For more episodes, visit theoncopt.com.